Hi, I'm Bob Witte with KPND in Sandpoint, Idaho. If I can be a fan of Skylight Books, LA's world-famous independent bookstore, from way up here in the Idaho Panhandle, then you can too from wherever you are. Visit the website, buy some books. You can even join their membership club and reap the benefits of supporting independent booksellers. Thanks. softer side meet me on the softer side softer side of your heart hi there and welcome to the skylight books author reading series you can find out about this and all of our other author events at www.skylightbooks.com where you can also browse our inventory as well as order books online you can also follow us on Twitter or even be our friend at Facebook.com. If you'd like to talk to a real person, we can be reached at 323-660-1175. And don't forget, Skylight Books depends on listeners like you to help support us. So whether you're in our neighborhood or browsing online, buy a book or two to help ensure that we'll be around for a long, long time. Thanks and enjoy. But here tonight, um, we're here for uh, John Andrew Frederick, and uh, I was wondering uh, if any of you remembered uh, Gazaris on the Sunset Strip. You remember the Gazaris, yeah? Well, <laughs> on uh, on the radio, uh, the KMT, the Mighty Met, you would hear uh, Bill Gazari on there, and he would do his ad, and he'd say, "This is Bill Gazari, the Godfather of rock and roll." All our bands got foxy guys in them. If, our if these guys aren't foxy, they aren't my stage. The same stage where the Doors and Van Halen started. So I'm kind of feeling like Bill Gazzari tonight a little bit. Um, I feel like I got a little bit better, though, because not really just the godfather of rock and roll or good intentions or writing, but all of these things, you know, tonight with John Andrew. Uh, John Andrew Frederick is the kind of person I get jealous of. He's got 17 albums and two books. I haven't done, I have one album, <laughs> and I manage a bookstore, <laughs> and that's it. Um, both really good. They are good, it's a good life, <laughs> but I'm still very jealous, I am jealous. Um, his well-received, God, my eyes are so bad, I'm getting old. His well-received new book, The King of Good Intentions, is a quintessential LA novel. It is the Los Angeles that I want to read about, the one in the 90s. Not only because I lived through it, but because John captures perfectly an exciting and fluid time that can never exist again. And that's a good story. So please welcome John Andrew Frederick. Thank you so much for coming, everybody. I'm going to start with a, a passage, if I could find it. Um, the, uh, the narrator has a doppelganger or an alter ego whose name is Junior. And he prepares um, for high school by attempting to learn guitar. And the hippie chick who teaches him how to form chords and write songs fucks off to India with her boyfriend. Unbeknownst to Junior, um, he had no idea that this um, woman he had a crush on, uh, a, a late junior high school crush on um, was going to break his heart. So he goes off to prep school and he decides instead of music 
to take up sports. And before he does so, he contemplates which sport might be most well matched um, to his strengths because he perceives at the prep school that the studly guys on the football team and the soccer team at Elia um, get all the ponytails. That's the euphemism that he uses for the pretty girls, um, cheerleaders, song leaders, various assorted sluts. And not sluts as well. Neither brawny, burly, beefy, brave, stupid, reckless, fast, violent, or insane enough for football. Junior tries out for the volleyball and tennis teams. Sports where the other side is on the other side of a net. A net that will ostensibly stop the opponent from hurting and thus humiliating him in front of the understandably far fewer ponytails, as opposed to the football team, that come to watch the matches in his fields. The nets are immaterial somehow any old way. However, in that, even though he makes both teams, Junior is a sempiternal scrub. He rides the pine ski all year in junior varsity volleyball and holds on by his teenage fingernails to the last rung of the tennis ladder. As the lowest of the low on a team that is ranked high in the Golden State, Junior's not permitted to travel with the traveling team. Coach Chip Von Chip only lets him play home matches. Junior's usual opponents in said contests are often hefty, incessantly sneezing allergy or asthma sufferers whose draconian parents have forced them to play sports. Boys whose lackluster or feet strokes, as it were, would be more appropriate on butterfly-catching excursions to central Ecuador or in public swimming pools other than on sun-kissed Southern California tennis courts. How, with all the sneezing and wheezing that's going on, they even keep hold of the handles of their respective Jack Kramer, Pro Staffs, or Bjorn Borg endorsed Donnays is a total wonder. It's a good job, by the way, that I see two of my tennis friends here who will catch the allusions to Jack Kramer's and Bjorn Borg Donnays. And some of you maybe who are aficionados of the sport. Anyway. There must be, Junior thinks, there must be some sport that he can acquit himself at adequately. There must be some field where he can pocket his little share of the glory, sew a letter on his sweater, and have a shot at a ponytail. Track and field requires swiftness and strength, plus stamina, disqualified, as does cross-country, pass. The basketball coaches not only constantly Stanley, Stanley Kowalski at the players, but also require them to get crew cuts and sign affidavits that they will not, under any circumstances, drink, beer, or bong, puff, toke, pipe, the demon weed, marijuana. Foul. Fuck that. Forget it. Junior is convinced that the basketball coaches' rebarbative edicts may even be illegal. He's done some research. He hopes to become a lawyer someday, just like Junior Senior. In his requisite yearly interview with the school counselor, Junior has waxed semi-eloquent about his barristerial aspirations. The counselor has, in a way, been very encouraging about his desire to become a lawyer. She's told Junior that, 
judging from his junior high transcripts, plus his current pl class performance, 52 in Latin, 47 in biology, 74 in mythology, 86 in English, 34 in French, 75 in history, and his not exactly model citizenship, plus the sarcastic responses to various Rorschach ink blots she keeps waving at him. He is definitely on the way to becoming the sort of person who will at least spend a lot of time in court. About basketball, Junior is pretty good at hoops. He can really shoot. But he has curiously deduced that adolescent hormones need a certain amount of beer and drugs in order to thrive, flourish, and produce clear skin. For evidence, for evidence, just look at the kids on the b-ball team. Many of the poor players have archipelagos of maximum acne on their faces and ponytails, Junior's pretty sure, do not find acne an attractant. Junior imagines the basketball player's kit bag stuffed with bottles and bottles of pushant tetracycling along with their warm-up jackets and uniforms. Youch, he'll look for another sport. There's always soccer, but soccer, it seems, is exclusively for foreign exchange students and people of that ilk who don't mind the occasional cleat or toe in the shin. Punt. Golf? Please. You ride around in a cart, wear repellent plaid pants or plants with plants, pants with pleats, and you hit a little ball towards a hole and no one tries to stop you. That, Junior Epiphanies, is the definition of a sport. Someone has to try and stop you from doing something. The minute you get to run, and maybe scream, at Arnold fucking Parmore or Jack fucking Nicholas and try to knock the club out of the hand, out of his hand as he's putting, then it's a sport, baby. Then it is. Otherwise, it's just, as our good old friend Samuel Johnson says, a good walk spoiled. Golf is for the last picked for kickball. The chess club has more chutzpah. I'm really hoping that none of you are serious scratch golfers and they're therefore turned off greatly. But then again, oh well. The rugby team is, oh come on, lacrosse. You have to have a hyphenated name or at least the third after it to even try out for. Plus a personal chauffeur, an overweight trust fund, and a mean streak a mile wide. Plus Lacoste shirts in every color, plus terry cloth. Nix. Mrs. Junior's mom has gasped at the, at the cost of the three Lacostes Junior's managed to get her to shell for. He can't possibly risk asking for anything more. She's not taking him to Brooks either for surrogate alligator-free shirts either. She's put her foot down. Yeah. What about baseball? Baseball, there's a thought. Girls must like baseball players a little bit. At a San Francisco Giants versus Los Angeles Dodgers game, junior senior took junior two. Just last summer, there, was there were nice-looking, always-smiling girls almost everywhere. Everywhere you looked. And right before the seventh inning stretch, 
He heard his father mutter, goodness gracious, at a filly with overinflated tennis balls for breasts, who, whooping and waving her arms about like a madwoman or a policeman on television, had jounced out onto the field and was attempting to catch a piggyback ride from the first baseman. Baseball, Eureka, the national pastime. Although no nets are involved, and the other side is playfully and plentifully armed with potentially GBH-inflicting clubs of polished ash and hollow aluminum, a baseball diamond, junior figures, is, barring the backstop, a wide open space, and if necessary, he can run. Furthermore, in Little League, he was pretty good. A two-year all-star, in fact. He pitched without catastrophe, fielded, fielded at third sack sans error. Didn't strike out too many times, and not once did he, jitterbugging beneath, beneath a high fly ball in the outfield, lose it in the supernovaing sun, or drop it with two out in the bottom of the ninth. Baseball, yeah, why not? So, in his junior year, Junior signs up, tries out, and garners a pat slot in the starting rotation as a pitcher. He wins two games, fanning a total of 13 batters and allowing three unearned runs and one unearned one, a cheap shot inside the park home run. Junior's name appears in the school paper. Junior's picture appears in the school paper. But unfortunately, it's not a picture of him in the mound. Rather, it's a shot of the football click at lunch. And Junior's off to the side with his gob hilariously agape as he bears open-mouthed witness to another round of milk carton bombardment. Understand earlier, Junior's in awe of the fact that the football click fills up their empty milk cartons with water and hurls them at the chess club dweebs for fun at lunch. So you would have caught that illusion had you read the book, but you haven't, perhaps some, maybe you did, because you wrote a blurb. Um, thanks, Ben. Um, thanks again, let's take a break. Okay, and we're back. Thank you very much for coming, by the way. This is great, hi, Jay. <laughs> there's one of my tennis chums right there, hi, Jay. Anyway, twice in the school paper, there's a W after Junior's names in the box score of the Seaside Community's Daily Rag. On the field, in front of everyone, the coach, Coach Crunch, the JV coach, slaps him on the back after Junior's second win. A notorious hard nose with hard, dark blue eyes closer than were Karen and Richard Carpenter, eyes beadier than shares in her Cherokee people phase, and meaner than cat shit, though you rarely see them on account of he rarely takes off his Ray-Bans, Coach Crunch has to the best of the team's knowledge, never slapped anyone on the back. He has slapped players in the face, but never on the back. Nope, this is a first. All right, Junior. The team gives him a cheer that goes, yip-a-pa-caw, yip-a-pa-caw, and in unison and with alacrity, showers him with sunflower seed shell cud and chewing tobacco juice. Way to go, Junior. You've thrown a hell of a couple games. In the locker room, Thatcher, Chandler, Spencer, and Gardner from the starting varsity football team surprisingly notice Junior and tell him, nice going, buddy. 
Then they frog march him to the gymnasium bathroom and quote unquote baptize him by shoving his head into an open toilet and flushing it archetypally thrice. Read to Passage, un, deux, trois. Tell me acceptance into the key jock click is not just around the corner. Maybe tomorrow at lunch, Junior will be invited inaugurally to milk carton a docile circle of drooling handicappers. Wouldn't that be swell? Maybe he'll be called in to help baptize a few of the chess club dweebs, some of whom are former friends. For a brief spell, he actually attended a couple of chess club meetings, though he never joined. Junior would feel real bad terrorizing kids he actually knew, kids he's traded horses and bishops and rooks with, but he's sure they'd understand. I mean, come on. Tell me they wouldn't willingly trade places with a few of the glorious sportos that have certifiably acknowledged him. Tell me they wouldn't relish the opportunity to dunk their own heads in the locker room, John, just to get in with Thatcher and Slater and Chandler and Gardner, with them looking admiringly on. And get this, he can't be certain the babble of the halls between periods, what it being what it is, but he thinks one of the JV cheerleaders actually said hello to him. Although his, the Christian name that she hailed him with, Tommy, is a lack, not his own. At least she spoke to him. At least she made a sound that was directed towards him. Frampton comes a fucking live. What a great spring this is going to be. What a great school. What a great life. Who knows? He might even get a date to the spring fling, or maybe, just maybe, the prom. In biology, one Friday, after the doll-faced, super-succulent cheerleader may have said hello to him, a magnificently, bewitchingly princess-like girl in an incandescent lemon sweater for casual Friday, winked at him. She winked. An apple-cheeked, snow-white brunette with jewelly blueberry eyes. Just the most torturingly beautiful girl he's ever seen in tight white pedal pushers and champagne dance shoes. What a honey. What a fox. There's no mistake, mistake this time. Girls are starting to like him. The sporto thing is paying off. Chicks are digging his trip, man. Hey, Sanderson. Junior pissed to his lab partner in biology, the starting first baseman on the JV team. Sanderson, you're not gonna believe this, but Michelle McGregor just winked at me. What? No way. She winked at me. Michelle McGregor did, she did. What? Get off. I mean, get out. <laughs> she did not. She did so. Did not. Sanderson definitively states, making a simply hideous face. I know she didn't, because I just heard her ask Ms. Mr. Sell for a pass to the nurse. She said she bumped her eye in a microscope, man. So there. Oh, says Junior, all deflated, and goes back with even less enthusiasm to butchering a frog. Near the end of the season, Junior's team, the St. Caulfield the Martyr Academy Mariners, is tied for first with their crosstown rival, the Millhouse School Blue Whalers.
Coach Crunch gives Junior the nod as the starting pitcher. He also gives Junior a ride home after practice one day in his sporty Porsche. It's a convertible, a hot red job that's chillingly fast, low to the ground, and seems to be mufferless. Junior anticipates the high soprano engine exploding any moment. Accompanying them, sitting on Junior's lap in fact, is a foxy sophomore who keeps stats for the team. And also, rumor has it, fucks Coach Crunch. For Coach Crunch walks taller than John Wayne, is more tan than George Hamilton, and has teeth that sparkle harder than any set of dentures in an ultrabike commercial. Handsome is he? Cut? With facial features more chiseled than any personage painted by Modigliani? You might say so. The fine skin on his jawline tightens in a New York instant. His slightly ski-jump nose is thin and perfect. His softly wavy, wine-dark ex-marine hair marinates in brill cream. Palpable muscles ripple every which way. Pulsate, bulge, heave, and wave. Even the coach's ears signify, I can bench press three times my body weight. In bun-tight, blood-red, lycra, coaching shorts, gray workout St. Call Athletics tee, blinding white knee socks, and flatulent black windbreaker, Coach Crunch struts towards his class. Of course, he teaches U.S. history, where he not only advances the theory that American te television lost the war in Vietnam. Of course, he served there and upped for two tours. And the New Deal was a raw deal and that Kennedy, an obvious pinko, was ordered murdered by LBJ. Landing on the moon? A waste of time and money. The Holocaust? Dubious. Hiroshima? Human progress. The Great Depression? A scam. Prohibition? Another one. Coach Crunch is serious. Very serious. So serious that he doesn't even take off his trademark Ray-Bans during the jingoistic, super-tendentious films he shows during history class. There he stands at the back of the classroom, arms akimbo, palpitating, palpitating. His super, that means touching or smoothing. It's a Nabokovian word. I ripped it off from him. <laughs> Sorry, Vlad. Palpating his super slender, very fit hips, ready to punch something or bark at it. Sometimes he's so serious that he speaks entirely in capital letters. Perhaps at a stab at egalitarianism, perhaps ironically, he customarily refers to the students as individuals. Here he is addressing an ambitiously obese kid who just barely made the JV team as third string catcher. The kid's name is Pendleton. Pendleton, you're a very large individual. We're going to do something about that. And here he has Pendleton up on a scale in the locker room and trembling. You are approximately one biscuit away from 200 pounds. Pendleton, that is unacceptable in a boy your goddamn squat height. Perhaps we should have some of the huskier individuals on the football team see if they can bench press you. 
Would you enjoy that, Pendulous? Would you? No, I don't think you'd enjoy that, Pendulous. Now get back on that treadmill and see if you can't shed at least one of those breasts you're sprouting. Of course, you've noticed that you're spouting breasts. Haven't you, Pendleton? I personally have seen you showering after practice with a t-shirt on. Are you embarrassed by them, Pendleton? I imagine it is embarrassing for you, son. I know a couple of the pitchers have noticed that you have breasts. In, fa in fact, some of them are having trouble concentrating on the strike zone on account of they are thinking that there's a girl swatting back there behind the plate. Now drop and give me 50, you Twinkie, before I have you measured for a bra. We need this upcoming game, Junior, Coach Crunch tells Junior. We need it. He offers Junior a pow-mow while simultaneously downshifting into third round a hairpin turn in the red Porsche that I just told you about. I have to kind of aside every once in a while because it's kind of thick with stuff, right? Yeah. I have trouble following my own goddamn book. I'm sure you do too. So there we are back in the car. The foxy sophomore is on Junior's lap. They're driving in a red Porsche. It's convertible. He offers the kid a Pall Mall cig. That's a cigarette for those of you who were born yesterday. <laughs> and as he rams a tape of the best of Lionel Richie, that's kind of a cheap shot, isn't it, though, in a way? <laughs> Lionel Richie probably has too many problems or enough problems as it is that he doesn't mean need me taking the piss out of him somehow. I mean, oh well. Anyway, but it would make sense, wouldn't it? You know, in, in terms of character that Coach Crunch would be a Lionel Richie fan. Like me, we share that. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Those are the, dream the dreamy ones. Yes. He did. That's pretty. That's an achievement. I did not. I, last I checked, I did not write Brick House. <laughs> there he is, offering Junior a Pall Mall while simultaneously downshifting into third round a hairpin turn, ramming in a tape of the best of Lionel Richie, and friskily tickling the left knee of the foxy sophomore. It seems that Coach has as many hands and arms as a Hindu love god. From where he sits, naturally, Junior has a good shot at the girl's legs. My God, they're the color of perfectly toasted, buttered, and honeyed Wonder Bread. Creamy, lean, lithe, smooth, gorgeous, golden, delicious, flawless. She's so beautiful. Coach Crunch, Junior thinks, you are a lucky, lucky man. A pedophile of much moral turpitude, yes, but a fucking lucky pedophile of much moral turpitude. <laughs> He's Red Lolita. Junior knows what's up. One thing Junior also knows is that the Foxy sophomore is a shoe-in for the lead role of his masturbatory fantasies for his next two adolescent prep school months at least. In order not to get an exceedingly ill-timed boner as she sits on his lap, Junior thinks of baseball. Yes, baseball. And here comes the voice of Coach Crunch. The city playoffs, you know? Gotta make it. Junior? Junior? Junior, are you listening? Huh, Junior says, snapped out of his randy reverie. Sorry. Sorry, Coach. 
I said, the winner goes to the city playoffs. And get this, Junior, those individuals get a steak dinner at the Kiwanis Club and then go to Disneyland that day. Then the next day, see the California Angels versus the New York Yankees. You don't smoke? Good. Good for you, Junior. Wish I could quit. Isn't that what I'm wishing all the time, Shelley? The coach says winkingly, like he's some sort of Jack Nicholson in the early scenes of The Cuckoo's Nest. That's a movie from the 70s that you'll need to see. <laughs> it's a very bad habit, smoking like a lot of things, eh, Shelley? Anyway, we're counting on you, Junior. We've got to have this win. We've got to have it. The day of the big game. Junior is very nervous, obviously. He's also utterly exhausted from choking the bishop an average of four and a half times a day. His erato ruminations, of, of course, trained on the foxy sophomore Shelley. His brain is damp pulp. His mind's a scantron with all the bubbles blank. Shelley's legs haunt him. In his hormonally kinetic mind, they follow him everywhere. They're private detectives. They're ghosts. They won't leave him alone. They're Sam Spade, Nancy Drew, the Hardy Boys, and the apparitions in the turn of the screw, all in one. The day of the game. The pressure's on. The grandstand's packed. It's practically groaning from all the freshmen getting, uh, like, it's groaning like freshmen getting line, more lines from Latin to, for talking during prep. The bowed benches are rows of staggered canoes, ponytails and assorted sportos and civilians in mufti, paddling all over the place, chattering like magpies. Teachers, reporters, younger siblings, alums, and community boosters as well. Some major league farm team scouts are even said to be out. Practically the entire school's there. The adjacent varsity stands are also overburdened with rubbernecking and simply necking spectators alike. People are starting to wander over from them on account of the senior team is winning by a score of 21 to 1 in the third inning, simply pasting the crosstown rival. Junior has heard a rumor that one of the stars on the varsity team ran out a shot to left by running backwards to first. Amazing, this sporto school. What showmanship. What, well, not sportsmanship, but tradition? Aplomb? Fans fan out along the JV backstop, the far back of the third and the first baselines, the snack bars running out of hot dogs, popcorn, ice cream sandwiches, red vines, cracker jacks. Individual-sized pepperoni pizzas are flying out of there like frisbees. It's crazy. Tall clouds merry, far awayly in the mid-spring, lightly, lightly smoggy, tangerine and Prussian blue sky. And a soft, tinselly light suffuses the longish grass of the outfield. It's a good day for baseball, as good old legendary Vin Scully might say, with a slight breeze, air dry, not overripe with pollen, lambent but not overweening sunshine. The infield grass blushes from the recent mowing it's had, and the base path dirt's been freshly sprinkled and looks dark pink. Most importantly for Junior, the mound has had a meticulous manicure not too long ago. It's not too tall and not too short. That's really important. There's a gopher, gopher hole-sized divot right next to the front of the side of the rubber, but Junior's toe knows his way around it. After all, 
He's a pitcher, and it's his home field. Post-warm-up pre-game pep talk. Coach Crunch offloads a concatenation of cliches as the players gather reverently round him, intermittently turning their heads in order to spit out sunflower seeds or hack garden variety loogies, yawn or blow their noses using quote-unquote Italian handkerchief method of holding an index to one nostril. I'm not going to illustrate it. And blowing out the other one. Get out there and give 110%. Keep your head in the game and your eye on the ball. We gotta play as a team. Now there's no I in team, boys. There's meat, if you make an anagram out of it. But there's no I. Never mind, let's be the meat out there. Team, you know what I mean. The best defense is a good offense. Also, the best defense is a good defense. So let's play defense out there. When we're on the field playing, on the field, defense, okay? And we're at bat, we gotta step, when we're at bat, we gotta step up to the plate and play offense, because the best offense is, all right, look, let's play all nine innings out there till the individuals on the opposing team are out. Junior's gonna help his own cause today, and you guys are gonna help Junior too, because he's gonna help himself from helping. You got it? All right, all right, all right, let's get this job done and win one for the team. Be the meat. Win, team, win. Yippee-ca, go Mariners, the team shouts in unison as the ump cries, play ball. Getting an early read on the umpire's concept of a strike zone, Junior's pitching well to start. His arm is well-rested and loose, and he mixes his stuff, fastballs low on the inside and, or high and just catching the outside corny, corner, goofy looping change-ups, unpredictable curveballs, and zany trifling fork balls. Like a champ. He even has a knuckleball going. He didn't know he had one, but he has it going anyway. What's going on here? Junior's thrown a great almost out of his head, eight innings. Top of the ninth, the score is two to one, Mariner's favor. The visitors have only gotten three hits off of him, a stinging me meteoric double to right that results in the only run. The first batter's crowding the plate. His bat makes little upside down butter churning motions. Junior winds up and throws low and away for ball one. Come on, Junior, Coach Crunch yelps. Junior, someone from the stands sharply barks, bear down, buddy. Anderson, who's playing first base instead of Sanderson, urges, let's go, Junior, you can do it. Junior winds up and hurls the next pitch straight down the pipe. Strike one, ugs the ump. Atta boy, Junior. Junior Senior hand megaphones from behind the pack backstop. Atta boy. McKearson, the second baseman, calls out. Way to go, Junior! Junior's mother hollers. Junior palms the rosin bag, weighs it in his thoughtful hand. He's looking mighty fierce. His eyes go all narrow, all aluminum cool blue. Calm down and breathe, Junior counsels himself, virulently hucking the ball into his glove a couple of times and cursing under his breath. Calm the fuck down. <laughs> he shakes off the catcher's next sign, shakes off the next one. He wants to throw a changeup. He's going to catch this guy off guard, hoodwink him. The catcher is Pendleton, by the way. 
The first and second string catchers are in the infirmary with food poisoning they got from eating the hall pudding that wasn't exactly pudding. Hey, batter, batter, juniors, infields, infielders chatter. Here's the windup in the pitch. The ball floats towards home. It's bigger than the Hindenburg. The batter's eyes go fucking popping. He takes a monstrous Casey at the bat-sized cut. Whiff, Steerike two, the um pronounces. Woo-hoo, Shelly the foxy sophomore comments and claps her clipboard against her burnished, beautiful, white-shorted thighs. Junior's sweating now, just dripping. Perspiration fairly rills down his jerseyed arms. The mound is like a moat, almost. Any moment, the ump's going to row out to it and call him for throwing unintentional spitballs. The next two balls, Junior throws over the backstop practically. Three and two. Coach Crunch canters out to the mound. All right, Junior? Yeah. You sure? You want me to pull you? No, Coach. Okay, then. Let's get this next goddamn individual out. Keep the ball low. Stop trying to aim it. Throw. Throw low. Bear down, rear back, and throw. Okay? Okay, coach. Junior looks up, looks down. Looks up. Obviously, looks down too. Cleats the dirt. Nods. Crunch pats, pats him on the butt and trots back to the dugout. He's got Mickelson, a junk-balling lefty, and Stevenson, a smoke-throwing righty, warming up in the bullpen. The crowd is going wild. Everyone's clapping and huffing and puffing and chattering. Junior, they encourage him. Come on, Junior. Hey, Junior. Hey, Junior. Junior. The voice of one of the soccer-playing foreign exchange students unmistakably ululates. You can do it, Junior. I know you can, Junior. Don't you let them kick a home run. Don't you let them. Junior concentrates harder than ever, more than if he was taking his SATs. Thinking hard about what the coach has told him, he does throw low, too low. The ball scuds into the dirt in front of Pendleton. If he were playing cricket, it would have been a perfect bowl. Unfortunately for Junior, this is America. We don't play cricket here, old chap. We don't bowl, we pitch. Ball four. Man on first, no outs. Ah, grouses the hometown crowd. Fuck, breathes Junior, sweeping up the rosin bag again and slamming it down as rapidly. Fuck, Coach Crunch goes. God fucking damn it. God fucking bless it. Bjornsson, Bjornsson, a born-again Christian bench jockey, seethes. Fuck, everyone on the bunch goes. Fuck, 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 fuck. The foxy so sophomore is shaking her foxy locks on her foxy head. Fuck, 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 Junior echoing his teammate swears. The overexcited visiting team quacks like an overbooked barnyard. Out Crunch comes again to the mound. His face is as red as his cap. The St. Caulfield insignia is whiter than any scary movie specter. The Millhouse's team's fans boo. The St. Calls fans razz them. The visitors blow raspberries back. Someone discusses a smoking Tyro pepperoni pizza into the dugout of the visiting team.
Their starting catcher catches it like a foul line drive and pops it whole into his mouth. He chews it, spits it back in his glove, kneads it into a quote-unquote fastball softball, then rifles it back towards the hometown stands. A freshman in silver wire rims catches it with his chessboard. The St. Caulfield's fans with voices high and eminently taunting jeer once more. One of the girls' soccer team angrily kicks an errant batting helmet high above the head of the visitor's first base coach. It has all the force behind it, her kick, of a frustrated Catholic prep school girl in a very sexy kilt. It's exactly the sort of legendary sexually frustrated behavior that has led Junior, a Protestant, to beg his parents to send him to a Catholic prep school. The helmet flips cinematically up and high into the air. Junior watches in utter fascination as it then bonks, plop, backwards, right onto the first base coach's head. Reeling around trying to pull it off, the hapless coach wanders out into the field like a drunk and bumps right into Anderson, the first baseman. Childishly, Anderson shoves him disgustedly and makes a mouth like Laura Dern in blue velvet, though it will be years and years before that fine film were made. <laughs> Both benches empty. Suddenly, everyone's got a war, a war yell going. Even the benignant bat boys bomb in and start swinging. They've unquivered Louisville sluggers in pine and black and gunmetal blue thumpers. There's a brouhaha, a rhubarb, a gang fight, a barney. A set to, a what for, a battle, a scrap. The millhouse pitcher, a stringy, funny-toothed beanpole with a lazy left eye, bounds out to the mound and essays an uppercut to Junior's chin that misses badly. The guy's are s arms are so long that when he misses, it seems that he'll punch himself out. What is this funny-toothed beanpole? With the lazy left eye thinking, Junior thinks, I didn't do anything to him, but I'm going to do something to him if he gets a turn at bat. In short order, the ump restores order. Play ball, he yodels. Sure, some punches got thrown. Some pushes were pushed. But nobody's hurt, really. It's all been in good fun. Some fun, Junior thinks. Some fun. The infielders tenderize their gloves with their fists as a freak wind picks up a darker, darker, tall, uh, less tall clouds roll ominously in. The faithful leaves on the trees of the St. Caulfield campus sigh and whimper and whimper and sigh in the breeze, auguring the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat like what every American sports fans heard about on ABC's Wild World of Sports for years and years and years. There's a dull lull and the eeriest of silences. Everyone notices it. Suddenly, in come the junior varsity cheerleaders with their cheer. One potato, two potato, three potato, four. Let's go T-Mo, don't you let them score. Toy boat, toy boat, toy toy boat. Junior, junior, don't be the goat. As the cheerleaders yell, yay, all right, etc., Junior, who's now rattled, nettled, spooked, and shaken, knows he's going to be the goat. He can feel it. He can sense it. Thick whiskers are starting metaphorically to sprout from his chin. Any second, a pair of horns is going to punch through his cap. He takes it off his cap, wipes his brow, and kicks at the dirt at the edge of the mound. Sweet St. Caulfield, he's even stamping like a billy goat. 
When he tries to talk to the shortstop, his voice sounds like a fucking bleat. He's all bandy-legged and shit. He can easily picture himself chomping on a tin can or a shoe. A baseball shoe. Retired. Any minute now, someone's going to come along and transfer him to a prep school in the upper outer, upper outer Andes. That's where goats might live. <laughs> you guys are, you know, it's not meant to be that serious. The joke is on everyone. Um, it's, uh, if you don't like baseball, this isn't going to be your motif, is the thing. But wait, just wait. I mean, no, he doesn't transmogrify into a goat, and, you know, it's the Hunger Games. <laughs> the spell's broken, eh? The next batter is a monster at large, a cannon on the loose. The kid who ripped a shot past Henderson, he has a legless park bench for a bat, distracting acne, and a facial tick that's straight out of an abnormal psychology and in class instructional movie. The black eye he's received at who knows whose hands during the melee shines blackly like he's Alex in Clockwork Orange, or Rocky in Rocky. Holy Mary Jesus Christ Almighty, Junior puts on his most grim game face and says a little prayer. Dear Jesus, God, and Holy, Holy Ghost, forgive me my sins and let me whiff this guy, O oh Lord. If it be your mercy, Lord, let me, just this once, Father, God grant me the strength to fan this batter, or at least get him to ground out, Jesus. In the name of the Virgin and all of the saints, and especially St. Caulfield, we pray. Amen. He pulls the bill of his cap so far down, he might as well be an atavistic extra on the set of the treasure of Sierra Madre. On that mound now, he's one mean hombre, a ball-playing Hidalgo. The batter chokes up. Junior winds up, throws a really fast fastball. The batter takes a cut so hard, he spins round twice. Strike one, ugs the ump. Junior's got him now. You can sniff the batter's fear. Reaching back and throwing all he's got into it, Junior blows another fastball the batter's way. The batter connects. The ball swans up, then arabesques up, 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 and out, 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 and swims away from the diving left fielder. Foul, foul ball. Oh, and two. I'll read. Nervous applause, tentatives in. Junior relaxes a bit. He gets his nerve back. The next pitch, an unbreaking curveball. The batter grounds hard to Robinson, the shortstop. 6-4-3. Robinson to Sorensen to Anderson. A beautiful textbook double play. Yes, 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 yes. The home crown crowd is absolutely bonkers. The bullpen bench, coach crunch, and the foxy sophomore are positively crackers. Two out, two down, two away. Let's go. Let's get this next guy. All right, all right, all right. This guy can't hit. Hey, batter. Hey, batter, batter. The bench sounds like a convention of Jerry Lewis's. The stands hubbub like a courtroom in a Hollywoodish murder trial. The cheerleaders come a-tumbling in midair, semaphoring madly. Romanian or Bulgarian trapeze artists have nothing on them. Well, almost nothing. It seems as though one of the tumbling song girls didn't quite round out a backflip and is being carried away on a stretcher. Her tongue is lizarding out of her mouth and her neck is fully pretzeled. The crowd are now out of their heads, beside themselves. They barely even notice that the girls turning ultraviolet purple. One more out, they mantra. One more out. Junior's pumped. He's no goat. He can do it. His mom just said so. 
You can do it, Junior! He just heard her yell. You can do it! Come on, you son of a bitch! Son of a bitch, thinks Junior. He's never even heard her say dang before. This is unbelievable. What's the matter with her? What's gotten into her? Alcohol. Alcohol, Junior thinks. That's what's gotten into her. My mom drinks. She day drinks, no less. Good God. Junior looks over to the dugout. The bench has their rally caps on with their red caps backwards. They look like signal escapees from a snaggletooth chain gang on Devil's Island, French Guiana. Papillon much? The cheerleaders cheer one last singular cheer. Hollywood, Westwood, Southern California. This here cheer is here to warn ya. Pep squad butts and pep squad tits. Junior, junior, this is it. Yay team, yay team, watch that bunt. Junior, you can lick some cunt for the first time in your life. Fuck me like a drunk housewife. Strike him out and get this win. Then perhaps you'll get some trim. Jupiter, Mars, and Holy Venus. You want me to suck your penis? Aren't you tired of pulling it about? Junior, Junior, get this out. <laughs> Junior has struck out the next guy twice. No problem. Just get this last guy out and ready yourself to be orgulously carried from the glorious field on the victorious shoulders of your triumphant teammates. One more out. Just one more. Come on. The sun is humming low in the sky now. The clouds look like they're puckering. Junior's fingers seam the new rawhide as the ump tosses out to him. The ball, and he throws a screwball for strike one. But then, on the very next pitch, the batter squares around and, soft as kisses, bunts down the first baseline. Ah, fielding. Junior forgot all about it. He hurriedly penguins towards the ball, picks it up with his bare right hand, and does a little crow hop, and hurls it straight over the head of the first baseman. Oh my God, he's forgotten that Anderson, Sanderson's backup, is shorter than the attention span of a kid on Ritalin. Shit. The batter's numinous royal blue helmet rounds first and pop slides up into second as the right fielder throws too late. Oh no, the despairingly querulous hometown crowd goes. Oh no. Next up is the guy who lanced one to right for a double. Shoot. Junior, who's been well coached by his ex-Little League coach father, decides to walk the batter in order to have a force out at third. The inspissated visitor's rooting session hisses as the batter takes first. Now it's two down, man on first and second. Junior's thinking he's going to wet his baseball pants. Ball one, low and inside. Ball two, high and away. Ball three, just missing the corner. Pendleton wheeze waddles out to the mound and plumps the ball into Junior's pancaked glove. All right, Junior, what do you think, Pendleton? Throw your slider. I don't have a slider, Pendleton. Oh, Junior's eyes are goggling incredulousness now. Junior, what? Good thing I didn't have the pudding, huh? Pendleton? Yes, Junior? Get behind home plate. <laughs> <laughs>
Okay, Junior. Pendleton clink clanks fatly back behind the regulation 90 feet and turns round and thumps his mitt. The batter's laughing. He's nearly cackling. Junior's starting to wish that he himself had had the pudding, had taken in a bath in it or something. Oh, that's just nonsense. He can do it. He can get this guy out. He's not going to walk him. He's not. He doesn't. What he does do is beam the batter on the very next pitch. Bases loaded. The tying runs at third. The go-ahead runs at second. Junior's in more trouble than when he accidentally started a major forest fight in third grade by introducing a game of make-believe, a can of kerosene to a box of strike-anywhere matches. Before Croach Crunch has a chance to bound out to the mound and yank him, Junior wings in a bullion fastball into the next batter. Deja vu, another bunt, again down the first baseline. His only hope is to throw it to first. Deja vu. Junior fire, fires the ball even farther and harder over the hopeless, hapless head of the horizontally challenged Anderson. Two runs score. Three runs score. Of course, now Coach Crunch storms out to the mound and pulls Junior out of the game. Nice going, loser! He sneers and orders Junior to run 12 laps around the field while the game is still going on. Crestfallen isn't the word for it, kids. As Junior dons his warm-up jacket and starts his laps, no romantic poet in the history of English lit has known dejection like this. No romantic poet in the history of English has known dejection like this. Not even the ones who had to deal with being perennially destitute, losing duels, dating crazy poetry groupies, or drowning in picturesque Italian lakes. No romantic poet ever played big-time prep school baseball. No row poet had to deal with the vituperative likes of Coach Crunch and a de depressingly diminutive first baseman either. Oh no, Junior lugubriously muses, it isn't Anderson's fault, it's mine. This isn't a metaphor anymore. This is life. A wiser and a better boy takes a shower in the St. Caulfield locker room that day. A boy who was savvy enough to run only two of the 12 laps say, fuck it, quit the JV team, and go home and dig out of the back of his closet his steel string, dreadnought acoustic guitar, and practice on it till his fingers fairly fucking bleed. That's it for that. Thank you. Anyway, would anybody like a beer or a glass of wine while we, um, before we do this? Thank you. Cheers, cheers, cheers. Yeah. There's a, whole, there's a whole lot of other stuff about indie rock bands and love and that thing, but the, that's the baseball section anyway. So um, why don't you guys have a glass of wine and I'll do a couple songs if you want. Or Jay, you know, come on and you know, come, come, come to us, Jay. Um, so yeah, uh, if you want to have a drink or something, or should I... Should we just call it now, Steve? Yeah, what do you want to do? I don't know. Um, let me take a break, because that was really intense. <laughs> I mean, for me. I don't know about for you guys, but yeah. Sorry, I'll play. Yeah, sure, I'll play. I'm going to put song. Let me take a five-minute break, though. It's just, you know, drink among yourselves. <laughs>
the whole foundation shook. And as far as looks go, one was all it took. She just wants a book. Thanks for coming, everybody. That was wonderful. Let's give John another round of applause. Get another beer and a glass of wine, everyone. Thank you. There is more beer and wine, and, and, and John will sign your book for you if you buy one. I'll sign my book. You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget that you can check out this and all of our other great podcasts at www.skylightbooks.com. Today's music was provided by Fragile Gang. You can check them out at MySpace, Facebook, and the iTunes Music Store. Thanks for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.